Focus on Headline. Now let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Han Dan and Kim Bong. Welcome back to the studio, guys. Good evening. Good evening. All right, so let's start things off with the uh, soon-to-be-inaugurated uh, Yoon Sagar administration. Of course, uh, very busy right now, nominating a number of key posts in his administration. Uh, we did talk about a number of different man- uh, ministers who have been nominated. We also know about the, the nomination for the prime minister position, the deputy prime minister, and so forth. Now, we also have other names uh, to be shared here. Uh, Tan, let's get the details of that. Right, President-elect Yoon sung this afternoon nominated Park Jin of the People Power Party as Foreign Minister and Kwon Young-se as Unification Minister. Han Dong-hun, a senior prosecutor and key confidant, was appointed to be the next Justice Minister. Yoon announced the nominations at a press conference where he also named five other cabinet members and his first chief of staff. Park Jin is a four-term lawmaker of Yoon's uh, People Power Party who worked briefly for the foreign ministry after passing the Foreign Service exam in the 1970s, and he's considered an expert on relations with the U.S. Kwon Young-se is also a four-term People Power Party lawmaker who served as an ambassador to China during the Park Geun-hye administration and is known as one of Yoon's closest associates. Kim In-chol, former president of Hankook University of Foreign studies, was named education minister and deputy prime minister for social affairs, while Han, widely known as one of Yoon's closest confidants, was tapped for justice minister. Meanwhile, Yi Sang-min, former vice chief of the Anti-Corruption and Civil Rights Commission, was nominated for minister of interior and safety, and Han Hwa-jin, an honorary researcher of the Korea Environment Institute, was named environment minister. Yoon also picked Cho Seung Han, former head of the Korea Institute of Marine Science and Technology Promotion for Minister of Oceans and Fisheries, and Yi Young for Minister of SMEs and Startups. Yoon has chosen former presidential chief of staff for policy Kim Dae-gi as his new chief of staff, saying he's the right candidate who can successfully support running of state affairs through years of experience as a top government official. Again, uh, his uh, nomination for some of these key posts, it's, uh, it's interesting because he's made a mix of those who have expertise in certain fields and those who have, of course, uh, some background in politics as well. And uh, he did mention that some of these key posts, he is going to look towards uh, people with expertise. Uh, So this is what we're seeing here. But uh, nevertheless, it is uh, getting inching closer and closer uh, to the inauguration. Uh, May 10th is when the UN administration, of course, kicks off. Uh, We'll see what other uh, names that we'll be seeing in the days to come here. In the meantime, South Korea's job figures improved in March, even as the country continues to struggle with COVID-19 numbers here. Pum, let's get the details of these numbers. Well, like you said, SJ, South Korea has recorded 30th consecutive month of job auditions in March. According to the data compiled by Statistics Korea, the number of employed people came to over 27.7 million last month, up 831,000 from a year earlier. The number of employed people grew by the largest for uh, any margin since 2002, when it rose 864,000 on a year. 
but the March tally was lower than an on-year increase. The statistic agency said the trend of job growth has been extended every month since March last year amid the economic recovery. The uh, South Korean economy has been on the recovery track on the back of robust exports, but it has faced economic uncertainty amid the fastest spread of Micron variant and surging energy costs uh, caused by the Russia invasion of Ukraine. That's right. But uh, however, job growth did slow from the previous month as unemployment in in-person services, of course, hit by the upsurge in COVID-19 cases as well, right? You're right. Um, although the job data pointed to overall improvements in the line with the economic recovery, employments in face-to-face service segments such as accommodations, retailers declined on near amid uh, the Omicron wave. The employment rate of people aged 15 and older rose 1.6% post 6% percentage points on year to 61.4% last month. It marked the highest uh, rate of for any March since the statistic agency began compiling related data in July 1982. The number of economically act- inactive people, those who are in uh, who are neither working nor actively seeking jobs or people you know outside the labor force, force reached 16. 6 million in March, down 277,000 from a year earlier. It marked the 13th consecutive month of an on, on year four. The jobless rate fell uh, 1.3 percentage points on year to 3% last month. The number of unemployed people declined 342,000 on year to 870,000. 3,000 by sectors, uh, the accommodation and the food service segment reported job losses uh, last month after the three straight months of one-year gains. The uh, sector saw the number of unemployed people before 20,000 one-year in March. The wholesale and retailer, uh, retail sector uh, also reported one-year drop on jobs of 32,000. For the manufacturing sector, the backbone of the economy reported only an increase of 100,000 jobs. It marked the largest gain since January 2018. Finance Minister Hong Nam-gi said the number of employed people grew more than 1.2 million over the past five years, despite the fall in the working age population and the COVID-19 pandemic. Hong wrote on his Facebook page that in March, the country added more than 800,000 jobs on year, despite the high basic effect, showing the country has extended a strong momentum for the job recovery. And the Bank of Korea forecast a number of employed people to increase 28,000 this year, smaller than on-year increase of 30, uh, 370,000 last year. Yeah, I just want to make that quick correction. Uh, 280,000 this year. A lot of numbers that are popping out does get confusing when there's so many numbers there. But uh, nevertheless, the presidential transition team also seeking to modify the Moon administration's carbon neutrality plans. Uh, We talked about how the Yoon administration, not a big fan of some of the plans set by the Moon administration, saying that it wasn't realistic, um, but what they're seeking is that Korea needs more realistic and responsible plan here. So what kind of changes are we expecting here? 
Well, there are two pillars to the changes they're seeking. One is to scrap the Moon administration's nuclear phase-out policy, and the other is to increase the portion of nuclear energy while reducing that of renewable energy during the country's course of reaching carbon neutrality. The transition team's planning chief, Won Hiryong, said that although carbon neutrality, which the country already promised to the international community, is a path for us to take, our climate energy team's tentative conclusion is that the Yoon administration needs to set new plans that are honest, realistic, and responsible regarding carbon neutrality. Last year, the current government announced it'll reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 40% from the 2018 levels by 2030, sharply raising its previous goal of around 26% and reach carbon neutrality by 2050. And to achieve them, it planned to expand renewable energy use and make environment-friendly energy sources be the center of the country's energy mix. But the transition committee says these policies actually increased greenhouse gas emissions and pointed out that the plan will prompt electricity rate hikes and even lower the country's gross domestic product. The transition team earlier claimed it is inevitable to see an electricity price hike of 4 to 6 percent per year by 2050 if the Moon administration's target of expanding the renewable energy portion to 70 percent by 2050 is kept. 34 to 6 percent by 2050. I'm trying to do some math right now. Let's just say that's uh, 30 years from now. Multiply by four. It's about 120 percent increase. Uh, that is uh, certainly a lot here. But uh, then, I mean, what follow-up measures are likely to follow then? I mean, do we know any specific environmental policies of the uh, the incoming administration? Well, the transition team's climate energy team chief, Kim Sang-hyup, said that the incoming administration will break from the nuclear phase-out policy and put every possible technology for carbon neutrality on the table to pursue practical and responsible policies and for what the team calls a more realistic and responsible approach towards carbon neutrality. President and Yun is expected to first push for resuming construction of nuclear power plants and extending operations of existing nuclear reactors. In fact, the Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power Corporation has already submitted a report to the nuclear safety watchdog analyzing the safety of the Kori-2 nuclear reactor's extended operation, while Yun, during his visit to Ujin, has vowed swift construction resumption of two nuclear reactors in the county, Shin Hanul No. 3 and No. 4, for the region's economy. A report is expected to be submitted to Yun later this month on policies that call for a balance between renewable energy and nuclear power energy, uh, the upgrade of green energy research and strengthening international cooperation and alliances in climate and energy fields. You know, this is one of those things that I really agree with. And I've always been a huge proponent of uh, nuclear energy. And uh, when the Moon administration uh, kind of announced that they were going to cut back on uh, nuclear energy, it was not a big fan of that. I think it's one of the cleanest energy, renewable energy. Now, it just gets a very bad image because you think nuclear power, you think, you know, nuclear power plants and all the malfunctions and what happened with Fukushima and so forth. But it is very rare. And uh, I I really think uh, nuclear energy is one of the best uh, clean energy sources out there. So it's good to see that they're moving towards this path here. But the fact is, again, the whole idea of carbon neutrality and, and the kind of plans that the Moon administration has put 
put forth. The UN administration, uh, the incoming UN administration, did stress that it was again uh, not really a reasonable, uh, practical uh, path here, and it's very difficult. And so we're seeing some changes here. I want to get your thoughts on what you think about uh, President-elect uh, Yoon Sagir's new plan for carbon neutrality. Let's start off with you, Boom. Well, um, in terms of the energy independence, uh, using atomic power can be beneficial than the thermal power plants in, in the sense that they are more resilient to the to recent global fuel prices uh, surge sparked by the Russia-Ukraine crisis. And also experts said that the waters that was used to uh, cool down the nuclear reactors can be reused to make hydrogen energy. But I think I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about because there are, you know, our risks are leaking nuclear and radioactive waste and the possibility of power plant explosions since Korea is no longer safe from earthquake. So I think instead of discarding the plan, maybe we should revise it. Yeah, I mean, again, the thing is, it's very rare to have uh, these, uh, you know, nuclear power plant malfunctions and the explosions that you talk about. And that's the thing that I try to I try to make the point that I'm trying to make. You get a bad image of it, the nuclear power plants, because of what happened in Fukushima. Now, that was a massive, massive earthquake. I don't think South Korea and I'm hoping I don't jinx this. It's not a place where there's going to be a massive earthquake. Uh, we did see some uh, minor earthquakes here and there, but not to the point where it's going to affect, I guess, the safety of the nuclear power plants. But uh, I totally agree with you. And just to add to that, the nuclear reactor technology has advanced by the day. And yeah. we're not talking about the techno technology back in the days when we saw uh, after when, when uh, the Fukushima nuclear reactors melted down. Yeah. Technology has advanced so much since then. And we're not talking about technologies that are much smaller and uh, safer, such as small nuclear reactors called the SMRs. You know, people, after seeing the Fukushima nuclear reactors melt down, researchers have, you know, put in immense amount of uh, costs and efforts to find a nuclear energy that can be much safer. Yeah. And what they've come up with is the smaller nuclear reactors. I think that could be uh, one solution to the uh, rising concerns over the possible, you know, meltdown or nuclear uh, radiation leaks. Yeah, and I think you made a very good point with the whole idea of uh, learning something out of the Fukushima uh, disaster is another aspect that we've been talking about is the, the wastewater, right? The nuclear wastewater and how Japan is dealing with it. And of course, you see how they're dealing with it. And obviously, some of the other countries that have these nuclear power plants, they're going to deal with it differently. I'm pretty sure South Korea has going to have a different option when it comes to dealing with the wastewater there. They're not going to just dump it out of into the uh, the EC or uh, the oceans, the Pacific Ocean and whatnot. I think, like you said, the technology is a lot better. It's just it just has a bad image. Uh, you talk about you know Chernobyl. You talk about the Fukushima power plants, and it's very rare that they have all this. I, th I still really think it's one of the best clean energy out there. But uh, Don, going back, I mean, what what are your thoughts about the the new plans for the carbon neutrality? I'm, I'm guessing you're pretty much for this. <laughs> we already discussed the vital part of it, yes. Yeah. But um, you know, I don't mean to openly support President-elect Yoon Suk-yeol in any way, and I'd like to make it very clear that I maintain a very objective point of view when discussing these issues. 
But I pretty much agree with uh, what the presidential transition team uh, is seeking in terms of their environmental policies. Because, you know, uh, I was very concerned. I mean, the goals made during the Moon administration, quite frankly, they were very ambitious. And um, although it is an inevitable path, uh, there is we can't afford to make a U-turn from those policies, you know, reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions and reaching carbon neutrality by 2050. It's it's not an option anymore. We should get there yeah, one way yeah. or the other. But it's you know about how to get there, and um, I think the, the those goals were a bit too ambitious. Those goals made during the Moon administration. I was very concerned about the immense financial as well as psychological, I guess, pressure that will be imposed on South Korean firms who suddenly have to you know switch everything from their business means, business factories, and you know basically their whole business structure to eco friendly ways in just about, what, a few years' time. I, I was very concerned uh, about those possible burden on South Korean firms and that and the uh, possible impact coming from that to the South Korean economy as a whole. So I thought it would be, you know, a bit better to take things slower and also get the help, utilize the help, the, the uh, nuclear energy, because the portion of renewable energy that the Moon administration has set was... I think it was a bit too high. And now the the, un, the incoming administration is trying to expand the portion of nuclear energy in the energy uh, in energy mix plan of our country. And yeah. I think it's the right way to do it. Okay, I, I still think you have to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. Okay, like I agree that once again, I, you know, it's one of those things I, I've been long, you know, critical of some of, uh, you know, the UN's kind of pledges and so forth. But I am going to point out things I think he is, you know, kind of headed towards the right path on. And I think it's nuclear energy only because I've been a big fan. And that was the other thing that I was not too happy with the current uh, Moon administration is basically uh, them scrapping uh, the nuclear power plants, uh, saying that you know it's it's not the, the the energy source that they want to deal with, but yet they want to build nuclear power plants in other countries. So you know they're for that. So I wasn't a big fan of this, but eventually South Korea needs to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. It's it's not a matter of when it, it like it has to happen right. by then because it's not I'll, a choice anymore. No, it's not. And and I think to be honest with you, to go a little bit against what you said. The longer it takes, I know you want to extend this, the longer it takes, it's actually, I think it's going to cost more. It's better to mm. right now go into it very quickly and just, you know, spend that money. I don't know if that's one way to put it because that's one. But you do make a very good point. Put other options, put other path in where, which eventually it leads to the same goal, right? Mm-hmm, Carbon mm-hmm. neutrality by 2050. And I exactly. think the only way to do it is to add uh, nuclear power plants, uh, in my opinion. Uh, let's switch gears here, talk about the human rights situation in North Korea. Washington having criticized Pyongyang for seriously violating human rights of its, its uh, citizens. Uh, Pum, tell us more about this. Sure. Um, in an annual report released on Tuesday, the U.S. State Department explained North Korea continues to seriously restrict and violate the human rights of its citizens. The report added that the regime failed to take credible steps to prosecute officials who committed human rights abuses and or corruptions. Um, it also said that there were significant human rights issues in nearly all aspects of life, from respect of law 
human integrity and respect for civil liberties to political and religious freedom and labor rights. In terms of respect for integrity of, of the person, uh, there were numerous reports that the government or its agents committed arbitrary and lawful killings. It also pointed to the uh, to the North's shoot to kill order to kill anyone attempting to, to leave the country or escape the political prison camps. And the state also subjected uh, private citizens to attendance at the public executions. In addition, the uh, report also said that the North parliamentary election held in 2019 was neither free nor fair. Uh, speaking to the journalist about the report, Lisa Peterson, acting assistant secretary of state for democracy, human rights and labor said the U.S. will continue to raise global awareness about gross human rights violation in North Korea. The official also noted that the fact that Washington recognized the North uh, as being among the most repressive authoritarian state in the world. And she said that the U.S. remains deeply concerned about the reports of systematic uh, and widespread gross human rights violation committed by the DPRK government. She also expressed hope for the justice to be achieved for the people of the North. While U.S. State Secretary Antony Blinken said that the reports painted a clear picture of where human rights and democracy were under threat, he did not directly mention the North human rights conditions. Again, not the first time this uh, report mentions this. I think it's uh, it's been over a decade that uh, they've uh, released uh, reports like this. But uh, going into some other concerning news here amid the intensifying violence against civilians by the Russian military in Ukraine. President of Ukraine and uh, Poland have called the Russian army's latest act as genocide, while the U.S. and NATO alliance have stopped short of using the words. U.S. President Biden has also labeled it as a genocide as well. Tan, tell us more about this. Right. President Joe Biden on Tuesday said Russia's war in Ukraine amounted to genocide, accusing President Vladimir Putin of trying to quote-unquote, wipe out the idea of even being a Ukrainian. Shortly before boarding Air Force One to return to Washington in Iowa, he told reporters, yes, I called it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out even the idea of being Ukrainian and that the evidence is mounting. He added he will uh, let the lawyers decide internationally whether or not it qualifies as a genocide. But he said, quote unquote, it sure seems that way to me. Questions are being raised about what exactly amounts to a genocide now. And according to the BBC, which issued a special report on this, genocide is defined as a mass extermination of a particular group of people. For example, the murder of six million Jews in the Holocaust of World War II. The UN Genocide Convention defines genocide as committing any of the following with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial or religious group, such as killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction. So has Russia committed genocide in Ukraine? Well, there still is no consensus on this. You know, uh, what's interesting is, uh, if you remember, uh, it's Russia that's calling 
uh, Ukraine Nazis, right? Uh, and yet uh, some of the news uh, reports that are coming out, it seems like it's the other way around when there are reports and uh, countries that are uh, basically accusing Russia of, you know, genocide. And uh, it does seem at this point like this, but you do, you're absolutely right. There is no consensus on this right now. Uh, in the meantime, there have been unverified reports. This is very concerning. Uh, social media alleging that Russian forces might have used chemical weapons over in Mariupol. Pum, uh, tell us more about this. Well, Ukraine forces in the besieged city of Mariupol, where massive civilian killings have been reported, announced late on Monday the Russian has used a poisonous substance of unknown origin. They claimed that after a Russian drone uh, flew over, there was a cloud of smoke and the three of their members experienced breathing difficulties. This could be a, a symptom uh, consistent with a chemical or poison gas attack. In terms of uh, chemical weapons, there are any kind of munitions that carry toxins or chemical substances that attack the human body system. There are different categories of, of uh, chemical weapons, and all of them can be used in warfare, in artillery shells, bombs, and missiles. However, they are strictly prohibited by the Chemical Weapons Convention of 1997, which was signed by the vast majority of nations, including Russia. However, there, uh, there has been no official confirmation of these reports as of April 12. All right. So in regards to this, uh, what were some of the responses from uh, Ukraine and maybe some of the other leaders as well? Well, first of all, Ukraine Deputy Minister of, of uh, Defense said the reports were being investigated, saying that there is a theory that these could be phosphorus munitions. Meanwhile, Britain's uh, armed forces minister said Tuesday that all options are on the table for the Western response if Russia is found to have used uh, chemical weapons in Ukraine. A U.S. senior defense official said that, although not confirmed, the reports were being taken seriously given Russia's history of using chemical weapons and that the situation is being monitored. Uh, speaking on Monday night, President Vladimir Zelensky said any of chemical, any of any use of chemical weapons would mark the new stage of terror against Ukraine and called on um, Western nation to arm his forces with weapons needed to defend his country, saying that the lives of Ukrainians are being lost, lives that can no longer be returned. Uh, the latest news, if confirmed, would be hugely consequential. Uh, many Western leaders have previously warned that Russia's use of chemical weapons in Ukraine would be a violation of international law and will have far-reaching consequences and totally change the nature of the conflict. Meanwhile, analysis by Britain's defense ministry suggests that the fighting in the eastern Ukraine will intensify over the uh, next two or three weeks. Russia has been re redirecting its offensive to Rohansk and Donetsk after retreating from around the capital, Kiev. With the attack poised uh, to launch soon, the diplomatic hopes to a seemingly fading, speaking to a joint uh, press uh, conference with the president of uh, Belarus on Tuesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin said peace talks with the Ukraine Ukraine had reached a dead end, adding that Russia will persist with its invasion. He also once again dismissed the evidence of the Russian atrocities in Bucha as fake, uh, claiming that the image of dead bodies had been staged by Ukraine. His remarks comes as atrocities potentially committed by Russia in separate cities like Bucha have come to shape 
a sharper focus as more evidence is being discovered. You know, there was a very interesting um, take by one of the experts I had a chance to uh, watch today. Um, One person uh, who was a professor, I forget, uh, I believe at the uh, the Hanguk University of Foreign uh, Foreign Studies, uh, he said that, number one, you know, there was the the, the virtual address by Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky earlier this week. Uh, He was saying that it was a little bit embarrassing to see that there were very few lawmakers who were uh, present there. Uh, It almost seemed like maybe South Korea was not very much interested or uh, invested in the uh, the Ukraine crisis. Uh, Another expert basically said, you can't be pushing for an end of war declaration on the Korean peninsula, yet not help fully with what's going on in Ukraine. Now, I do understand where the comments are coming from, but providing Lethal arms is completely different than providing, uh, you know, non-lethal, uh, I guess, uh, military equipment like uh, helmets and mm-hmm. uh, you know, bulletproof vests and stuff like that. I know the defense ministry has said that they're not going to do this. Uh, Ukraine is really seeking, uh, you know, I guess um, South Korea providing them with anti-missile, uh, you know, aircrafts and uh, more guns and so forth. What do you? Where do you guys stand on this? Because this is a very tricky situation that you're looking at. As as much as South Korea wants to help Ukraine, there's a fine line between what they can do and what you can't do at this time. I, I want to ask this question to you first, uh, Town. What do you think? You know, uh, speaking from a very realistic point of view, I think the key here when discussing the issue of providing military aid to Ukraine is the uh, each country's national strength. For instance, if a country is strong enough to handle or counter or deter Russia's threats on its own, like the U.S., for instance, then I think it should. It must definitely provide lethal weapons and uh, weapons of mass destruction uh, even when necessary. Um, I think that's the only way that possible right now that looks possible to put brakes on this escalating brutality by the Russian military. Uh, and so I think it's it's uh, for countries, those countries with such national strength must keep providing advanced weapons and uh, lethal weapons and weapons of mass destruction even uh, when necessary to protect human rights and to stop this uh, unspeakable uh, violence happening in Ukraine each day. But when it comes to countries like South Korea, can we handle Russia alone? Can we deter <laughs> or 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 uh, uh, counter Russia's threats alone? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we're still under the nuclear umbrella of the U.S. So I think the answer is pretty clear here. And our, uh, uh, um, you know, it, it may sound you know quite selfish, but. I don't think we can put anything before our own national interest. Our own national interest must be placed before anything else. But uh, if we if we start providing lethal arms to Ukraine, that would mean that South Korea is indirectly participating, getting involved, involved in a war against Russia. Can we afford to do that? I don't think so. And uh, we should consider South Korea-Russia relations. And of course, we can't overlook Russia's influence in the region. So I think the best uh, that we can do at this point is to provide military assistance uh, that consists of things other than lethal arms. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I I've, I've mentioned this uh, very early stage of uh, the Ukraine crisis, that if there's any kind of military involvement by other country, it's going to turn out into World War Three. 
No country at this time wants a World War III. Now, sure, you're not putting soldiers into Ukraine per se, but providing lethal weapons, it's the next, you know, it's the step before that. And so I think South Korea is, is trying to avoid this right now, which is why a lot of the countries are trying to avoid that situation at this time. And I do completely agree with you. But what about yourself? What do you think about providing arms aid to a Ukraine in terms of, I guess, uh, the situation right now? Well, um, for uh, for South Korean government, for the South Korean government, it is very difficult to provide a uh, military support because considering the current security uh, situation on the Korean Peninsula and the relations with Russia, but focusing uh, on human rights there, I think um, we need to stop Putin. I know that Putin stopped Putin. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, it is. Uh, yeah, but how do you stop Putin? Yeah, stop Putin? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there are several uh, options. That you have I options of stopping. No, no, no. I mean, no. I mean, I mean, for not for us, but for the Western, you know, Western countries. Okay. But um, well, uh, one we can, you know, placing more sanctions. But in terms of sanctions, as you mentioned yesterday, unless there is a hundred percent embargo on. Russian oil and gas by Western countries, the war won't stop. So when it comes to sanctions, it's always uh, controversial because sanctions are weapons that hit both sides. And for a full embargo would lead to a collapse to a, to the global energy market. So and and then we have another option. Can think of promoting peace talks, but you know Putin said a peace talks with Ukraine reached a dead end. So as for Ukraine, there are two options, surrender or fight back. Zelensky chose to fight uh, back against the Russian attack, but he needs sufficient tools to do that. And there are, there are unsufficient tools. However, this must be really frustrating for Ukrainian people there. Uh, I basically hate war and violence, but seeing what happened in Ukraine, I have to say that Washington and NATO allies should provide Ukraine with all the weapons in it to defend the uh, Russian attack. But again, you didn't, you didn't really answer the question with, uh, well, South Korea should provide weapons right now. I mean, you said sanctions, which is not really a weapon, and there's been so many sanctions that are in place. I mean, you're saying that the NATO... You can't say NATO allies with Ukraine because they're actually not in NATO. So that's another thing they can't say, I guess. But also the Western sides, it's what they're doing. And I think, you know, Tan made a very good point. These are some of the countries that could potentially uh, deter possible Russian attack, whereas South Korea, I, I don't think we're you know capable of doing that because of, you know, being in the nuclear nuclear umbrella and so forth. So, uh, again, it, it is very tough right now. I, I think when it comes to, you know, weapons aid, I think this is a topic that should be discussed among countries that can't afford to do so, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, we're going to move on very quickly because we are running out of time. Uh, COVID-19 updates here. I also want to make a very quick correction. During the headlines, I said that the uh, total, total death toll is approaching 200,000, I meant to say 20,000 total, but nevertheless, we are seeing clearly that the peak of the Omicron is now behind us. Uh, New daily infections on a decline. 
Uh, let's start off with some of the numbers that came in earlier today, Tan. Right. We saw over 195,000 new infections today, and the new infection trend uh, in the past two weeks showed a clear downward trend. You, we normally see a big spike in new cases every Wednesdays, but today's figure marks the first drop to the 100,000 range in seven weeks. Uh, but the number of hospitalizations and deaths remained high, posting 184 deaths with around 1,000 people in critical condition. Uh, the number of COVID patients being treated at home stood at 980,000, falling below 1 million. The government will announce adjustments in social distancing rules later this week. Now, expanding the scope to global tallies, the world saw over 500 million known COVID-19 cases as of Tuesday, according to the New York Times, as well as Worldometers. That's around six percent of the global population of 7.9 billion. Uh, but the New York Times predicts the unofficial tally will uh, almost certainly be much higher, with many going undetected or unreported. And the reporting gap may only grow wider as some countries, including the U.S., are scaling back official testing. Uh, but it also reported that uh, COVID deaths have been declining, with the world reporting about 3,800 a day on average over the past week, which is 23 percent fewer than two weeks ago. That's right. All right. Uh, hopefully this whole wave is behind us. Not to mention, again, uh, just want to mention that the fourth vaccine shots are going to be expanded for those in the high risk groups. We'll get more updates on this, guys. Thank you very much for coming in with your reports and your insights on some of these issues. Stay safe and we'll see you guys again. Thank see you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.